everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth, and this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. I'm praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers, welcome to another saunter in the book of Genesis and today we are on chapter 3 which is you might say a pivotal moment in the history of the human race. So let's pray and ask the Lord, Holy Spirit will you come and speak to us this morning. Let this word live in our hearts and live in our lives. Lord, we need your presence. We need you with us today just to make it through. We want to be image bearers of Jesus on this earth. Amen. Good morning, Fliss. Good morning, Fran. Captain Squawky's well outside today. Good morning, Tracy Ann. <clears throat> So we're in chapter three of Genesis. Good morning, Ruth, and Buenos dias, Flor. And you remember we've got it, we are now in the garden, Adam and Eve ensconced in the garden and in love with each other, no doubt, and really happy to see each other. But then we uh, suddenly, here comes the game changer. Good morning, Alison. Um, chapter three, it says, verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, <coughs> excuse me, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, or you will not surely die. Um, hold on, lost my place. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Wow, this is a an incredible story, isn't it? And it's just like... It's one we all know, it's very familiar with, it's been preached on many, many times. And yet it never, it never stops being instructive, does it? And so there they are, they've got this beautiful garden, they've literally got access to everything that God has made. And there's no tree 
no fruit there that they're not allowed to eat except the fruit of one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're introduced to this serpent. And the... the <laughs> good morning, Sally. The idea of a wriggly snake coming along and talking to us just is bizarre, isn't it? But somehow, in into this serpent creature which was known for its cunning and craftiness the devil we realize that it is the devil we're not told it's the devil in the story but later on in Ezekiel when God is prophesying about the devil through Ezekiel he says you were in the garden of God and so there's this sense that this this evil creature had kind of penetrated and found his way into this glorious environment that God had made and there somehow this horrible rebellion that was in the heart of Satan who had been a glorious worshipping angel he somehow that evil had found its way into the garden and there it is embodied in the form of a snake and when it's really interesting because it does seem that Satan can use all kinds of um, means to convey his message to us so if you think about jump forward to the New Testament and Peter's saying to Jesus, oh, no, I'm not going to let you go to Jerusalem and get killed. No way. No way, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And he's looking at his one of his best friends, his dearest friends he spent three years with. He looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. And so we know that it's not that surprising that Satan can kind of find his way to he can come up with the means to use something which seems harmless enough to communicate, maybe even attractive to us, to communicate a temptation to us that actually is inviting us to step outside of God's plan for our lives and God's precious, perfect will for us. And so here he is speaking through this serpent and is really interesting the angle he comes from. And it would seem that the woman and the man, Adam, are near the tree anyway, because they're observing it. And, it, it, and so the serpent says, you will not sure. So hold on a minute. He starts off by asking this general question that throws into question what God has actually said. So he's making Eve question. Hold on. What did God actually say? I'm a big one for forgetting my instructions. I have certain instructions about the washing and things like this. And I kind of oh, try and remember, I must do this. I did right. I've got to do this with this one, that with that one. And I try not to forget, but I do forget. And Eve is, so Satan is throwing into question what Eve has actually heard from God. So did God actually say to you, you shall not, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of any tree in the garden? Well, he clearly didn't say that. So he's thrown the woman off balance. And she kind of, no, he didn't say that. But what he did say was, we're not to eat of this fruit. In fact, if we even touch the tree, we're going to die. Well, God didn't say that bit as far as we know. But she had come to, I would imagine Adam said, don't even touch it, darling. Don't go there. Um, but then the serpent spins it and he says, well, yeah, of course. Because God knows you're not going to die anyway if you do eat it. That's not going to happen. You're not going to die if you touch it. And But God knows 
that in that moment you'll become like him and your eyes will be opened and you'll be able to see the stuff that God sees and have this special knowledge. And so Eve, it says, is tempted on three levels. First of all, she looks at it. She sees that it's a delight to the eyes, it's pleasing to the eye. Secondly, um, it's desirable for food. It's good to eat. It's desirable to look at. It's tasty to eat. And thirdly, it's desirable for gaining wisdom and becoming like God. And so she's hooked. So she's got the attractiveness of the thing that's enticing. It's beguiling to look at. It's actually wetting her appetite as she's thinking about, mm, 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 I could taste that. I could almost taste it. Maybe it smelt nice or whatever. But she could, she, her appetites were awakened. And then she's also thinking, wow. And it'll give me this extra dimension to my life. And it's there, and it's like Satan is sowing the seeds of FOMO, isn't he? Fear of missing out. He's saying God is withholding something good from you that if you had this, your life would be complete. And do you know what? Those kind of temptations are just how he still works today in the 21st century. He makes it look appealing to us. It's desirable. How could something that looks so great be bad? How could it possibly be wrong to do this when it looks so good? And actually, do you know what? I'm really hungry right now. And that looks like the thing that would really... And so our senses, our appetites are all desired. Our, all our desires are awakened. Talk to you later, Fran. And, uh, uh, oh, and, and then there's this other sense in which, wow, God is withholding something good from me and he doesn't want me to get on in my life and have what I really could have and have all the potential, reach my full potential as a God-like person. And so there she is and she reaches out, takes the fruit, eats it and her husband Adam is there with her so he could have said don't be so silly Eve they're both complicit in this thing there's no evidence to suggest in the story I mean this isn't a court of law is it obviously but there's nothing in the story to suggest that Adam tried to stop her doing it or thought it was a really bad idea and so he ate as well and then it says the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made them uh, made themselves loincloths. When we read that, it does sound silly, doesn't it? We because <laughs> they've both seen each other naked. They're married. They well, one presumes they're enjoying all of the pleasures that come along with that, and so they're not kind of strangers to the appearance of each other's bodies. God made them in the first place. He made all the. The, the kind of rude bits as well as the less you know what I'm saying and so what, who are they hiding from what's all this about the giraffe looking at me a bit weird I don't <laughs> but there's this sense of shame and as they eat this fruit something enters their hearts and they just feel un just wrong about themselves and what they were comfortable with what felt great and normal and was just normal before suddenly now is all kind is contaminated and something's gone wrong and spoiled it and so they sew these fig leaves together and make themselves loincloths and then verse eight 
It says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, again, this is Yahweh. This is the personal covenant keeping name of God that is being used here. This is the relational God that we were talking about yesterday, introduced in chapter two. And these, this language is really interesting. I'd just like to think about it just for a second. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, this language is really interesting just from a kind of separate out from the story for a second. He says, I heard they heard the sound. Now, that's like it can be walking. It can be the calling. They heard the sound like God calling them. There's a but God was moving and they heard a sound. Somehow there was this was God in a human form or was God in in the breeze or how was he communicating with them? But he did and he was and he'd arrived and they kind of knew that he would come. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking or moving in the garden in the in the breeze in the cool of the day. That word for breeze there is ruach, which is the same word we use in the Old Testament for spirit or wind or breath. And in the breath, in the breeze, in the coolness of the breeze, the Lord is moving and they hear his sound, whatever sound that is. And they're like, whoa. And instead of that invoking excitement and joy and the desire to worship and fellowship with God, it invokes this fear that makes them ashamed and they want to go and hide. And so there's this moment where God is arriving by his spirit in his and it says they hid from from the presence of God. Now, that word there is panim, which is faces. It's also present presence. And I guess it's like when the Lord makes his face to shine on us, it's the same kind of idea It's his presence. His face is turned towards us. God's face was turned towards these guys. And yet their face is turned away. They can't face God. They can't face God's face because their faces are covered in shame and they want to hide. And so they dive into the bushes. Crazy. I know, but this is what sin does. It drives us away from the presence of God. It drives us away from seeing his face. It drives us away from that face-to-face contact with God. Good morning, Tia. And so there they are hiding in the bushes. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, that's God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? which I commanded you not to eat. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So here we go. Blame shifting going on right here. So the very first crime is followed by blame. It's just as old as the hills, as my mum used to say, is in us is this desire to shift responsibility onto somebody else. The woman you gave to me. Good morning, Alastair. Great to see you, buddy. And he says, this woman, it's your fault, God, really, because you gave me the woman 
And I liked her, and of course that means I'm vulnerable to anything she suggests and blah, 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 all the, you know, whatever. And so he says, the woman you gave me, um, gave me this fruit and I ate it. Um, and then the Lord said, verse 13, to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we have this, don't we? If we're parents and we've got a couple of children and we say to one, what have you done? And they say, oh, she made me do it or he made me do it. And then you look at the other one and they say, well, it was the dog. <laughs> so we're going to kind of blame somebody. And so the, the Lord God said to the serpent, so God follows this kind of explanation and responds to it. Not that he's taken in by it, I don't suppose, for one minute. But the Lord said, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So interesting. So right there in Genesis chapter 3, we have this whole thing unfolding, this whole big, what will become the meta-narrative of the whole Bible, the big story, overarching story of the whole Bible. We have this hostility between the evil one and all of his offspring, everything that he engenders, everything that he produces is in hostility towards the seed of the woman. So that's the human race, basically. And and yet there's this, in this verse here, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and be, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we have this prophetic word that leaps right forward into the future um, and predicts that Jesus the seed of the woman, the seed, the offspring of this woman is going to one day crush the head of the serpent. And we know that Jesus did exactly that on the cross when Jesus died on the cross. One of the things the Bible says is for this purpose was the son of God manifest or shown to destroy the works of the evil one. And so Jesus comes finally to destroy the work of Satan. And Satan has been busy and his offspring and his product is all permeated throughout the earth. And his and there's hostility towards the um, the fruitfulness of the human race is hostility even towards her children. There is a war even against babies being born that's going on around the world today in the name of progress and it's this hostility towards the offspring of the woman and it's just a it's reached an epidemic proportion and somehow we we cry when um one person dies and yet we turn a blind eye to the death of millions around the world don't we each year i don't know what the statistics are but they're pretty bad and so there's this hostility towards the offspring of the woman that still goes on. Verse 16. So there so there we have this prophecy of Jesus and his 
defeat of Satan on the cross. And when he rose again, he totally kicked the devil in the teeth, didn't he? And it's like, nothing you can throw at me has worked. I'm still here. I'm still alive. And to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is horrible. This is a curse. God looked at what he'd made and saw that it was very good. He was super delighted at what he'd made, when, particularly when he'd made man in his image. And now he's looking at them and he's cursing them. He's saying, do you know what? You're going to have problems, guys. Because you've elected to take this course of action in rebellion against me, I am now in opposition to you rather than cheering you on, rather than giving you a free pass, if you like, through this earth. You're going to now be dogged with trouble. He didn't say, I hate you, or I'm going to you know, turn my back on you. And he doesn't. I mean, even in that prophecy to the serpent, he's saying there's a, there's a beautiful promise that's going to come. And that, that Satan's work, the work of the serpent, will be um, finished for good. But there's this sense that God is taking his immediate presence away from them. He's withdrawing slightly. He's not going to make it all easy for them anymore. And they're going to have challenges and difficulties. You imagine what it would be like if God had said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate you. I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to challenge you on every corner. I'm going to give you really... It, oh my. To have God as our enemy is a bad thing. But God is saying, no, I'm going to just let... It, I'm going to let you feel the consequences of this decision that you've made and you're going to have difficulties. There are some bits in it that I don't really understand fully. but And he says um, about the pain in childbearing, there would be plenty of people who would say, we don't have to have pain in childbearing. We have faith that God, that Jesus has broken the curse. Therefore, we have faith for pain-free child, child labour and all this kind of stuff and that's fantastic and I'd encourage you wives to claim that and husbands to pray for that over your wives and just say come on Jesus you've broken this curse let's have a, a pain-free delivery here please Lord and then he talks about this strange relationship between the woman and her husband which is difficult to fully I've heard some sermons on it that I wouldn't necessarily go with um, but where there's this desire for her husband and she she somehow it's almost like implying that there's going to be a tension in the relationship and some challenges as they kind of jostle to exercise leadership in the home and so on but he's um god is saying your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you and to adam he said you're going to find life difficult. You're going to have 
a challenge. It's not the the earth is not just gonna give you everything you want from it. You're gonna have to work hard to get it. There's gonna be a um, sweatiness to your labour. It's interesting, isn't it? If you think about it, every invention nearly that the human race has come up with is all about limiting the amount of sweat we have to exert to get a job done. And so from farming, if you just think about farming now, it, um, to the, see the massive tractors with just incredible horsepower and these machines that are all run by computers that know every square meter of the field soil condition and how much fertilizer to put on it. It's all about reducing how much sweat we have to expend, but it's surprising even with all of that, and even when you're working in your air-conditioned office and your computer is updating just at the point where you need to do a Zoom call and is really crucial, and you're like, I can't do it online because my computer's up in sweat. Kind of. It's surprising, isn't it, that even in this day of kind of mod cons and innovation and technology, there is still a, ma a, a degree of labour involved in our work and sometimes we go to bed or sometimes we're exhausted even halfway through the afternoon aren't we just by the work it may not be so physical but um, sometimes just the pressure of intellectually and emotionally of our job can just wear us out and oh and so he says by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread so when it doesn't seem to me that we're going to get to live out this life without exerting some effort to earn the bread that we eat. And in one thing that we see with everybody we know is that they all die, don't they? And I've conducted so many funerals now, and one of the things is kind of like, if you forget everything else you're going to say in the funeral, people expect you to say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, don't they? At the end, it's like the kind of little bit that we're all familiar with. And it's that sense that actually even the most incredible history-making person will return to dust. And that, that's what they came from. They will return to the constituent ingredients of the earth and the universe, you know, char carbon and whatever else, H2O and tiny, tiny bit of gold, I think, and potassium and anyway. That's an interesting one, isn't it? So we return back to dust. And then, so that happens to us all. To only one person it didn't happen to. The man, verse 20, called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. That is also interesting. God is saying, listen, Adam, your efforts, which is like we might say, you, all your religious efforts to make yourself look acceptable to me, I've not worked. I'm going to have to kill an animal and clothe you with its skin. And of course, anyone who knows anything about the Old Testament will tell you that the, the Old Testament very soon became based on sacrificial lambs and bulls and so on. And so to cover our sin, blood had to be shed. To cover Adam and Eve's sin, a fig leaf was not going to do it. It had to be an animal, an innocent animal. Blood had to be shed, not because of the animal, but looking forward to the day when Jesus would shed his blood for the entire human race. And he, his blood would go back in time and pay for Adam and Eve's sin. Isn't that incredible? 
You ever thought about that? That's that, but that's in, a most incredible thing. And so, when God covered them with skins, that's what he, that he was setting up this kind of he was setting a precedent that this now was going to be a thing that animals would have to die. Someone would have to die to pay for sin, either the sinner or anyway. Verse 22, then the Lord said, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good from evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That is such a sad ending, isn't it? That God saying, listen, you've got what you wanted, but I'm going to actually prohibit you from eating from the tree of life in this condition. And there will be a time when I'll give you access to the tree of life through the death of my son, Jesus. But for now, I'm going to have to bar you from this garden that I've created. Really sorry Wills, that you're having problems with the internet. Um, so this is a really, really, really sad book, isn't it? A sad chapter in the book, if you like. But it sets us up in chapter three of Genesis. It sets us up with a need for Jesus, with a need for somebody to come and sort this mess out. A mess that we've produced by our own rebellion against God. And it's very easy to look back at Adam and Eve and think, oh, you silly thing. You, oh, why did you do that? If only you hadn't have done that. But if it hadn't have been Adam or Eve or someone, it would have been one of us. And that that rebellion and that um, propensity to want to go to our, go our own way that the serpent hooked into is in us all. And so today... We thank God for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that you have revoked the curse. You took the curse on yourself. You took the curse and became cursed for us. And so we thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love and your mercy and your forgiveness. And I ask for your blessing on each one of us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, Will. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page and my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him. But more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. 
You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden, and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Uh, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.